Welcome to Emerge, a podcast-based inquiry into the people, ideas, organizations, and technologies creating a more beautiful future. I'm your host, Daniel Thorson, and my guest today is David Loy. David is a professor, author, and Zen teacher who writes about the encounter between Buddhism and modernity. Some of his books include The World is Made of Stories and A Buddhist Response to the Climate Emergency. His most recent book is A New Buddhist Path, Enlightenment, Evolution, and Ethics in the Modern World. In this episode, we discuss the ways stories limit and liberate us, the symptoms of living in a world of between stories, the difficulty of acting in integrity with what you know to be true, and how to find the meaning of your life. Please enjoy this conversation with the one and only David Loy. Welcome, David, uh, David Loy, to Emerge. Um, really happy that you could uh, join me for this interview. David and I uh, actually met for the first time. I've been following his work for some time, but met for the first time uh, at the Occupy Boulder General Assembly, which I think is pretty appropriate given the scope and character of this conversation. David sits at this really fascinating intersection between contemplative practice and uh, social engagement and social activism. Um, and so the first question, um, David, that I have for you, what are stories and why are they so important? Well, there are many different types of stories, of course, Daniel. But let me say, first of all, thank you for this invitation, because I think you're right on. I think this, this issue about stories and uh, you know, their, their relationship with uh, the way we understand the world and the way we live in the world, this has become absolutely essential because I think we all sense that it not, not only is, is the world in a, in a difficult situation now, a critical situation really, but also that it's very much connected with our stories about the world. Some people say that we're between stories now, which is in certain ways a very uncomfortable place to be, but also a very necessary and important one if, in fact, the old story just isn't working. Um, so the whole point about stories is that it's with stories that we come to some understanding of, of what the world is, of who we are, uh, and of what's appropriate in terms of how we live in the world. Um, and let me just reverse this to you, um, sort of begin by asking you a question. Interest in Buddhism and uh, lots of other spiritual traditions um, really took off in the U.S., and I think the West generally, uh, in the 1970s. What, why do you suppose that was? Yeah, I think people were feeling the emptiness of the story they were living from. Yes, okay. Well, just, just to fill that in a little bit, I, I think it's because of the 60s. And, and I think two th important things happened in the 60s to sort of start to uh, transform our understanding of story, or, or more precisely, to sort of make us question the story that most of us had sort of grown up into and, and taken for granted. One of them, of course, was the war in Vietnam, which was a real wake-up call for my generation. I'm a I'm a boomer here, and um, many of us realized that the U.S. is not the good guy of history, 
and that our government lied to us. And so that was a huge shock, the realization that the world was in fact quite quite different than the way that we've been socialized. And the second one, of course, was was the whole of counterculture, the alternative uh, reality in in large part or at least in part, I think, uh, encouraged by psychedelic drugs. And what's interesting about that is uh, when people took things like uh, LSD or, or mescaline, it, it wasn't simply that they felt different in the way that someone does if you smoke a cigarette or, or have a few drinks. The world actually changes. And I think this was huge for a lot of people, the, re the realization that we experience the world in the way that we do because of the nature of our own minds. And if our minds change for some reason, then the world changes. And as we've gone along since then, I think we can all begin to see more clearly the role of stories that, that what was going on in the sixties is we doubted the story that we had grown up with. And we were, we were open to new, new understanding of the world. And, and I think to some large extent that, that's been the um, s something that's been developing uh, since then, and and likewise, I think for for spiritual people in particular, how to say it? Um, a, a, sure. Yeah. A, another way to 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 make this point is to say that um, the world isn't just something that we happen to be in. The world is something that we both individually and collectively construct, right? you know, yeah. and including yeah. ourselves and our relationship with the world. Um, right. And uh, that therefore the spiritual path, it's not, I think, uh, as, as it has been in the past about sort of transcending this world in the sense about going to some other kind of reality altogether, um, Nibbana or heaven with God or something like that, or, but rather sort of, deconstructing and reconstructing the way we experience the world and the way we experience ourselves and stories are absolutely essential to that. And just adding one more thing, once we really see that, then I, I think we can also see that it's not only that my own sense of reality, my own sense of self, my own way of experiencing the world is something that needs to be uh, deconstructed and reconstructed, but we can also see more and more clearly how that's also true for the social reality that we construct together. You know, our whole exactly. understanding of how we relate to each other and, and, and where our society is going, uh, that too needs to be reconstructed. And an essential part of that, getting back to your initial question, is, is our story, our story about what that world is and who we are. Great. Yeah, and so maybe we can unpack that particular dimension of the relevance of stories. Um, how, how do stories influence whether or not we respond to climate change effectively? Well, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Living in the United States, which is the one developed nation that seems to be most resistant. And it's amazing then to ask, well, why is that? You know, what is it? Uh, and, and I think we can see a couple things going on. I mean, one of them is, in fact, I think a kind of uh, traditional understanding of religion. I mean, it's also interesting that of all the developed nations, the United States is also by far the most religious. But the kind of religion that tends to predominate is 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 pretty traditional in the sense that, you know, the goal is is to live in a certain way so that we qualify for heaven after we die and that God is in control of everything. Uh, 
And and I think in a way, uh, if if people sort of believe that fervently that God is completely in control, then only things only happen if He wants them to, and it's, it it does tend to sort of take some of the responsibility away from us. But the other important thing is, I think, the way that. Uh, in the United States, especially in the last generation, since the 60s, when the, the story sort of got out of control and the, the new left and the counterculture was in quite, was in some ways quite good at manipulating, I think, the media. Now those days are over. And, and, and I think there's a lot of money. There's a lot of attention that's gone into controlling the media, controlling the message, controlling the story that gets out there. And, uh, the the problem with climate change is it does seem to raise deep questions about our whole uh, about the orientation of our whole culture. You know, our our prevalent story in terms of consumerism and indefinite growth, and frankly, some very powerful and 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 wealthy corporations and people don't want to look at that. And, and I think quite rightly they see climate change as a um, Something that, that that sort of questions the whole presuppositions of our culture, because right. it's not simply about right. switching yeah. to recycling or renewable sources of energy. It goes much deeper to to raise very fundamental issues about the whole the whole orientation we have toward toward indefinite growth and consumerism. Indeed, and I think it's it really is uh, one of the key things that has. It's an existential question, really, for our the stories that we used to hold so closely. And uh, it, it does seem like, as you said at the beginning, that we're in between stories. I think that's a really fascinating way of putting it. And I feel that. I feel that very much uh, day to day. Like I, It seems like there are people in my life, people that I can see who are really reaching and stretching and trying to live in this new way of being in relationship to the world. And there are others on the other side of the chasm, and then a lot of people in between. What are the kind of symptoms of being in between stories? What shall we call it? Political divergences, if, if not chaos, right? Say, um, say, say what's going on in Congress and what's been going on for, for quite a while. I mean, it's not simply that Obama is in part African-American and, and a lot of people don't like having that kind of president. I think there's 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 something much deeper going on that the the tension or the gridlock in Washington in is in a way a symptom of increasingly divergent understandings of the world by people in the United States. I mean there are a lot of people who who uh cling to the old stories and and want to continue to try to live them out what you might call the American dream. Um and and they're hoping that that they can get what that American dream uh, supposedly, you know, points us to. And then there's a lot of people uh, embodying, I think, a new kind of consciousness and a new kind of story. And I think we're seeing in in the in the political realm. I think that's one of the main ways in which this is is acting out now. The, uh, I mean, you have places very sort of progressive places. You might have places like the Boston area or Boulder where I live, uh, Ann Arbor, totally. the Bay Area, where 
there really is a kind of a new new consciousness and and the new story is really starting to make itself felt but you have an awful lot of places in the country where the mentality is not all that different from what it was in the 50s and 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 people who really take that story for granted they can't help but look at these other places as as weird and maybe un-american disloyal etc cetera, etc cetera. so so i think a lot of the tensions within our society right now can can be traced back to the divergence in the stories and 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 the and the fact that we don't share a common story anymore yeah and i guess that's something i'm curious about too and and we'll talk uh more about kind of the the outlines of this new story in a little bit but what tends to happen when a community or culture does diverge in stories like do they typically eventually come back together is there some kind of like or what what typically happens is there a typical course of events in that scenario like the one we're in now well i think that's a really good question without a a simple answer i mean historically you you might be able to find uh, examples of of dramatic you know story change but usually accompanied i think with with quite a bit of 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 strife one way or the other i mean I think in our situation, we shouldn't be too quick to sort of draw historical parallels because we now live in something quite different in terms of a a globalizing world, right? Um, And also um, a globalizing world in crisis in the sense that um, ecologically, and and I think many of us would argue economically, we're, 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 we're really headed into some to some void, to some enormous crisis, and we're not sure how it's going to play itself out, but it's pretty critical. So stories in the past, uh, or I should say uh, these kinds of perhaps comparable crises in the past, it might have applied to a particular culture in one part of the world, but when you globalize it, it does seem to put us in a different situation. And add to that, of course, the, the new kinds of technologies for better and worse. I mean, the internet. Um, uh, right. You know, IT and and all the possibilities and problems that that that, that brings with it. So it it's it's tricky to know what's going to happen, frankly. Yeah, it's, and that's and that's also kind of the fun part too. If you can take a step back a little bit, you know, it's like we don't know. It is emerging. It is unpredictable. And so and so, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for people that do want to contribute meaningfully to the world. Um, that very unpredictability, that very kind of unknown quality means that there's a lot of space. And I think maybe this is a good juncture point to start to talk about the new story and, and what it calls for and what it's, how it's asking us to sort of see the world. And maybe that's enough of a, an invitation for you to just sort of describe it, just give us a sense of what it is. I'm not sure that there's one new story. I mean, I think there's a lot of new stories which overlap in significant ways. So uh, what I think is is important to sort of point to some of those characteristics. But first, let me just say a little bit about the old story, because I think it's important to understand the new story in terms of a corrective or or response to some old stories that just not just aren't sort of working in anymore. Um, in in particular, I I tend to see sort of the old story now is is a very interesting and unique place in history insofar as pretty much every other civilization that we know of had some sort of deep spiritual uh, religious roots 
And a lot of the creativity of the West has, has been accompanied by sort of increasing doubts about the traditional Judeo-Christian story, right? So God, I mean, a lot of people just don't believe in God in the same way. And, and in terms of, well, say comparing our uh, American culture in the 20th century with what it would have been like in the Middle Ages, I mean, right. Christianity was, was the central thing. I mean, a religion in medieval Europe wasn't simply about something you believed uh, sun and, and went to church Sunday morning. It was sort of the, the core meaning of the, of the civilization. And, and I think that what's happened since then, of course, is that God has become increasingly marginalized and uh, the world has become secular. And, and so when that happens, there's this whole question. If, if God was the source of meaning, goodness, and value, where, what are we about now? And, and I think uh, I think you can understand this in terms of story, right? So yeah. the old story was the world was created, our lives were determined by God, and now if that's not the case, who are we? Where are we? Where are we going? And and I think inevitably, of course, uh, um, just the sort of materialistic understanding of science, kind of reductionistic, uh, along with a uh, a certain kind of understanding of what Darwin was doing, right? So survival of the fittest. Um, and uh, what was really exciting about Darwin is not the idea of evolution. People had sort of, a lot of the brilliant minds had already accepted it, but basically he, he gave a naturalistic explanation that didn't involve anything spiritual, right? right. Evolution could yeah. happen just with random mutations in effect. Um, so, um, in a way, I think that has been, uh, whether acknowledged or not, conscious or not, sort of behind the fundamental story that determines our culture. If it's survival of the fittest, Absolutely. and if you apply that to society as a whole, you get what used to be called social Darwinism, um, uh, or more recent versions like Ayn Rand. So basically, it, it, it rationalizes individualism, it rationalizes competition, it rationalizes clawing your way up to the top of the pyramid, because if you don't, other people will, um, and and so it 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 does strike at the sort of heart of of a community in terms of people sustaining each other. Along with that, then you have the the economic story, a kind of perversion of Adam Smith, where you know, if each of us just pursues our own individual profit, then that works for the benefit of everyone. Uh, I think it's a very distorted story we have now. You know, Smith was very wary of. Uh, corporations, and he also uh, understood the importance of of empathy and and right. and that as well. But that I think is is sort of the underlying story. Um, if you live in a secular world, then how are you going to live? And you're going to live sort of trying to make as much money, trying to secure yourself in the world. And um, I think the kind of preoccupation that our civilization as a whole has has shown in the last couple uh, centuries uh, and in particular the last couple generations i think is is a manifestation of that basic understanding of who we are and and what the world is all about and so it's in response to that i think that now we're getting we're getting new new stories uh both on a large sort of cosmological scale we have stories we we have a new understanding of the of the evolutionary process being offered by people like 
Thomas Berry and Brian Swim, the idea that evolution uh, doesn't have to be understood in a simply crude sort of materialistic way, but we can understand as maybe something else going on in this. Um, that's one version of it. And then we have lo lots of people um, from many different types of traditions emphasizing um, th the importance of our interdependence, of the fact that we're not really separate from each other, that, our, that my well-being can't ultimately be uh, sharply distinguished from your well-being because in some fundamental sense we are deeply interconnected. Um, and, and I think um, that, that takes different versions and different stories, but I think that that's sort of common to, to, to virtually all of them. And also the interdependence with the earth. I mean, given the kind of ecological crisis that we have now, uh, inevitably that's, that's an important part of it. I mean, part of the old story was that we seem to be an, an accident of genetic mutation. Well, going back even further, right? You go back to the way that people tended to understand Genesis, the, the first book of the Bible, and it seemed like we're separate from the earth and God sort of gave us the earth to enjoy in some way. You know, a lot of people dispute that in terms of, uh, stewardship but certainly that's that in effect kind of rationalized a certain sense of separation and a certain um ab ability to manipulate it and then you get modern technologies and we so we feel separate from the earth in more darwinian terms if we're an accident of genetic mutation our lives have no meaning we are simply here to enjoy ourselves um, if we can, as much as we can, while we can, right? Until the inevitable death sort of takes us away and there's nothing after that. And, and I think so now part of the new story or many versions of the new story is, is emphasizing in different ways that, you know, we're not just accidents on the face of the earth, that we're part of the earth, that the earth is our body. And not only that, but that in some sense we have a role to play here. Um, as, uh, the the version that I often talk about is, you know, in a way, you and I and the human species as a whole, we are the self-consciousness of the earth. We are how the earth is becoming um, aware of itself and that there's a certain kind of responsibility, you know, rather than thinking of ourselves as simply here to exploit it. Rather, if it's really the case that the earth is our body, then... And then we have this fundamental responsibility to to work for its its well-being. It's easy to say these things. You know, it's easy to say we are the cells or the self-awareness of the planet, but then I litter. You know, then I take it for granted. How do we how do we make this real? How do we actually live from this place that you're talking about because uh, it doesn't seem so easy i think in fact it's it's virtually impossible um without some some sense of community in other words uh you know part part of the problem with the old story is the individualism that again distinguished my well-being pretty sharply from yours and and what we've seen in the last generation in the United States in particular is, is an incredible breakdown of sort of community. And, and I think very, very strong implication, necessary implication of, of seeing our interdependence, um, is, is, and with each other, with the earth is, is, is working with other people, finding other people who share, share the same story. I mean, 
individually, right. we can only do so much in terms of reducing our own carbon footprint or but or working uh, against uh, the institutions that are also very problematical now. Um, but when we work together, then there are certainly many more possibilities. Again, I, I don't I don't know that there's any, you know, simple, clear response in terms of, well, say, looking at the Buddhist tradition that I'm most familiar with, and it's my own practice tradition. Uh, I don't think there's anything in the Buddhist tradition that we can read off that tells us how to respond to the ecological crisis. Um, in other words, yeah. we have an ecodharma group here in Boulder, and uh, you know some of us are uh, members of 350.org and are, are committed to things like civil disobedience when that's appropriate. Others are members of Citizens Climate Lobby and go to Washington and lobby for what's sometimes called the carbon tax. And, and I think both of those are important uh, important uh, ways to work which of those is better i couldn't say um and and i don't know that there's any simple answer to that yeah i don't think there is either but it's still <sighs> yeah i guess you know i've been really dedicating my life in a lot of respects to deconstructing the stories that our culture gives us and trying to live really consciously trying to live from a new story some new story, something that's more true. And even in the community, and even when I'm really dedicating my life to it, it's so hard. It's so hard. And it's hard for me not to get pessimistic then, because if I, you know, if it's so hard for me, and I have, I have so much privilege, and I have so much uh, opportunity, you know, I'm living in a monastic community that cares deeply about social justice. Um, I was deeply engaged in the Occupy movement. It's so hard for me. Like, what what hope do we have? Well, do you also have a spiritual practice? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I know you do. This is a rhetorical <laughs> question, <laughs> but I think that's an essential part of it. You are right. It's hard, and 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 most of us have sort of lost that ability. But you know, the other thing I should emphasize is. Individualism gets gets a bad rap uh, in lots of ways, but it's also the case that that that, that has sort of liberated us to sort of n not only be creative, but to sort of deconstruct and reconstruct ourselves in ways that were very difficult, if possible at all, in sort of closed, tight communities where you know people didn't have many options. So that's that's the ironic other side of individualism, and I think uh, you know some of us have have really benefited from that kind of freedom. But the other side of it is community is something that's no longer bred in our bones. It's something that we really have to work toward. Uh, and likewise, the, 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 the social engagement. And, and this is why I think the, the, why I think it's, it's essential to have some kind of personal transformative practice as well. As, as I sometimes put it, I think the, the, the history of of the western tradition has largely emphasized social transformation the idea that we can reconstruct how we live together we can uh, pass laws or if necessary have revolutions to do that and a lot's been accomplished in that way but we can also think i see especially now say say look at the united states um suppose we did have the most perfect possible economic uh 
and political system. But if the people within that system are still motivated by what Buddhism calls the three poisons, uh, greed, ill will, and delusion, that system isn't going to work very well, really. And so I think we can see why it's important to bring the two together, uh, why we need to both work on our own personal or individual transformation, even as we're working in community to try to address the kind of larger social transformations that are necessary because because the one really isn't going to take us any place we want to go or or any place that's going to really resolve the kind of crises we have now without without the other and 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 just to add to that um yes you know things are grim um in 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 many ways and it's important to realize uh, ecologically Let's be frank, things look pretty bad. Uh, the, the attitude of the, what's called the bodhisattva in the Buddhist tradition, the idea that um, one sees that engagement in, in social issues is actually not a distraction from your own personal practice, but rather a, 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 a broader perspective in which we, we practice to transform ourselves. Part of, part of that, um, practice has to do with learning to act in kind of non-attached way. Uh, in other words, we, we don't know what's possible at this point. Things look pretty bad, certainly ecologically and frankly, politically and economically too, right? We don't know what's possible. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But in a way, that doesn't distract from the fundamental fact that my job is to do the very best that I can, not knowing if anything that I do is going to make any difference whatsoever. And and learning to be able to act in that way, to have a kind of social engagement that's not based on anger or frustration or or dualizing the other people, but realizing that we're doing something very difficult, that, that we're trying to act according to a new story. We're trying to change the fundamental story of our globalizing civilization. Now, this is a very this is a very tough thing to do. You know, the fundamental problem today isn't good people against bad people. It's not about defeating and destroying and taking power from them, the more fundamental challenge is is what what Buddhism talks about, moving from the delusions of the old story that simply isn't working very well and and coming to a better story in in response to the kind of situations that we're that we're having now, the kind of breakdowns and which are going to encourage I think more and more of us to move to that new story. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I, I I always love reflecting on the fact that the Chinese character for crisis also means opportunity. You know, that it, it's not just that, the, and I think this is important, that it's not just that the old story, you know, isn't working. It's also that it's not true. And it's less satisfying. And I think that's really important to remember, because like, even if we weren't destroying the planet, it would still be a crappy story. It would still be a terrible way to live, you know, even if it was fine, in a sense, in the ways that it isn't fine. Um, and I think that's also really important to integrate into our social activism is like, this is more fun. This is a better way of being, you know, it's more fun to care, actually. It's more fun to care. It's more enlivening to care, um, even if it, it requires you to kind of grapple with these issues that do feel pretty grim at times. Um, 
that's still much better. So can we have an activism not based on anger and frustration, but based on love and compassion? Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's one thing I appreciated. I think the, the Occupy movement had some glimpse and was in its own way, you know, had, mm. had some sense of that. And Yeah, it, it, it did. Well, I was just going to say, it strikes me, and I never thought of this before, but it strikes me that Occupy was very much a movement that arose between stories. Because you, you know, it, there were glimpses of it, but it was like this nascent sort of like prototype of something that we could sort of feel, but not completely embody. And so much of the time, it, it felt like the movement was motivated by anger and fear and insecurity. Um, and, and there was this internal dynamic tension that actually, I think, was really um, productive uh, in terms of propelling us into the future and giving us a better understanding of what's actually needed. Like a lot of people saw, I think, clearly in that, in that time that anger isn't going to take us where we, where we need to go. And, and I think that's connected with, uh, you know, what, what some people have pointed out as, as the problem of not being able to translate that into specific demands, right? Because it wasn't, it, it wasn't simply a matter of, of, uh, being able to offer the correct story at that point, it was pointing towards something, and and so even though Occupy uh, collapsed or was was repressed, I mean, I expect both of us have the strong sense that that was just the first the first act that yeah. uh, it was it, oh, yeah. it, it was a manifestation of something that's going to continue manifesting in one form and another, and and in more powerful ways as 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 things continue to to develop and and break down. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think of it both for me, I thought of it as a, a, you know, movement as collective inquiry, which made me less attached to outcome. You know, what are we doing together? I don't know. Let's figure it out together. And, and then also I felt that it was sort of a rupture in consciousness, right? So you can't destroy the consciousness that gave rise to Occupy, but you can certainly make it really difficult for us to hang out in a park together. So then it goes somewhere else, like it goes online into podcasts or, you know, into nonprofits or into startups or wherever. And I think it's, it's, it's very true. Like we, it's not going to be occupied, but we haven't, and we haven't, nor will we ever see the end or death of that consciousness, which is a damn good thing. Well, I mean, I was struck. So it's, it's mostly, I mean, not all by any means, but it's mostly young people and, you know, wired young people so you know people have each other's telephone addresses and email and so there is that connectivity and that's going to give birth to lots of other new things for sure great uh well one one kind of question that people who are stuck between stories they're tempted by kind of the um you might say fruits or offerings of participating in the capitalist system in in, in the traditional way but not necessarily living in service, right? I think that's the key difference. Like they're not necessarily hurting the world, but they're also not dedicating their energies to making it more beautiful. And I guess I'm, I'm curious what you would say to folks who find themselves in that situation and also feel this call to want to wanna serve the planet, but don't know how or don't think that they could actually do it you know, there's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge that a lot of people in my generation are mm, grappling mm. with. 
Well, it, it's a very good question. I'm, I'm immediately reminded of uh, Joseph Campbell. Remember that great line, follow your bliss? Uh, I mean, in, in a way, your, your question is, well, where does my bliss take me? And, and I don't know that there's any one simple answer to that. One important part of it, of course, is, is looking at what one is reacting to. I think it's important to, to, to see more clearly as, as things continue to break down that, that the old story doesn't deliver, right? And so it, it's quite fascinating a lot of the research that's been happening over the last generation into what makes people happy. You know, prior to that, there's so much, you know, why people suffer and all that. But it's you were so we're finding fascinating studies, uh, not only by psychologists, but sociologists and even economists, which seem to be coming to the same conclusion that, yes, we need a certain amount of, of, of basic comfort. Right. You need enough food and and and, and some of that. Uh, but before a I mean. Once you have a, a, attained a, a fairly minimal level of, of uh, comfort, that is to say, you know where your next meal is coming from and, and so forth, by far the most important determinant of how happy one is, is, is uh, it's not about uh, getting more money. Rather, it's about the quality of your relationships with other people. Right. And, and so... To that extent, I think the old the old story is failing us because it's encouraging us to play a certain kind of a game, to to live in a certain way that doesn't deliver what it's supposed to. So the the basic nature of consumerism is it's always the, the next kind of thing that's going to make us happy. Okay, now that's the that's the that's what we react against. But this whole question of what is it then that we go toward? Again, just as there is no one simple answer, whether I should be with 350.org or Citizens Climate Lobby, I mean, I don't think that there's any one answer. What What is important, though, is, and, and this is another area where I think our um, sort of personal practice may be very beneficial as well, because it helps us sort of get in touch with deeper parts of ourselves. It's It's really important to be become more sensitive to who I am in the sense of my potentialities, my abilities, my training, my particular context, and and bring that in relationship to the kind of of situations that, that you're confronted by. So, I mean, pe people are going to find themselves at different places in the world with different potentialities. And not only that, but when when we look at all the world's problems, some of them somehow grab us, right, in a way that others don't. So uh, we we find ourselves uh, pulled to to work maybe in a certain way for e ecological issues. Other people may may find themselves pulled to something like why Black Lives Matter, for you know, for example. And and again, I don't think there's any one simple answer that we should all be working with one or the other. But if we're really in touch with ourselves, if if we're living in a way in the world that that helps us feel what it is that's going on in the world, that that really pulls our passion, because we, you know, what's going to sustain us here is is not piles of uh, nonprofit money. What it is, what it is that pulls us is is going to have to be because it really touches our passion. It's like this is what speaks to me. This is what I really want to do, and this is what I can do.
again, there's no simple one size fits all answer to that. But gi given the kind of situation we're in, it's it's important to to practice individually in a way that helps us become more aware of that and helps us more 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 aware, more attentive, more responsive to the kind of specific situations that we're in. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it seems like almost a two-step dance. One is the is the sort of deconstruction of what our culture generally tells us makes us happy or fulfilled. Because it that's more clear to me now is that it's not like it's a new story, but instead there's 7 billion new stories. And we're all being liberated to actually follow what we're put on this planet to do instead of inheriting some kind of inexact and out of alignment story from like what a nation state or a culture or religion we don't need to do that anymore what we're really talking about of course is 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 about the meaning of our lives and not just individually but collectively right where does that meaning come from you know and uh, inevitably that that is tied in with this question of uh, what story what story do i identify with what what story makes makes sense to me it's a little tricky here because when we look at something like the buddhist tradition uh it's it it's it's sometimes easy and tempting just to sort of look at some aspect of that tradition actually it's not one tradition it's it's a bunch of traditions right you you shouldn't sort of conflate say something like zen with what you find in the pali canon but but it it's tempting in in this time of sort of story confusion to sort of just latch on to one of those stories and to live according with according to it as it were you know to sort of maybe become a a theravada monk and sort of think that that's all the truth that that's the story that's the only story that we need you know i i just don't think that's that's the case anymore um the the traditional spiritual stories are a result of particular types of of contexts of different types of civilizations that were were you know much much smaller uh, in in terms of what they knew they're they're pre-scientific they certainly weren't globalized they certainly weren't threatening the whole earth in the way that we are now so w we need to be uh, asking deeper deeper questions of all the spiritual traditions as well asking what it is within them that can help us understand our situation and help us sort of deconstruct and, and reconstruct the new stories but it's not sufficient simply to latch on to one of those stories nor is it sufficient as you sometimes find in something like zen to sort of think that the whole point is to get rid of stories altogether uh and and just practice i mean that's that's the other danger that i see uh uh, sometimes acting out a kind of anti-intellectualism that, I mean, there's a certain irony there because the the emphasis on letting go of stories that's a particularly attractive story right. for some people, right. but but that's not right. sufficient. So you know, we we do right. need these new kinds of stories that have to be informed by the kinds of spiritual practices and the kind of personal transformations that go along with those stories but they also have to be stories that uh, integrate the best of what the scientific revolution uh, has has taught us not only science but you could say social sciences not just the hard physical sciences and and those all have to be part of this new story thank you so much i think that one other question i i'd, I'd like to hear um your response to is uh and this might be a question, obviously, this is the first show, so who knows, but this might be a question I ask to everybody, which is, um, what in the world has you most uh, 
optimistic or excited? Like all the different things that people are doing, all the stories that people are creating. What 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 strikes you? Well, I mean, many things many things strike me. I mean, uh, on on the one hand, uh, it's possible for me to feel quite quite pessimistic and and discouraged, given clearly what's coming down both ecologically and and I think economically. Uh, but at the same time, as I said, uh, I'm I'm excited that the old story is losing adherence very quickly. You know, new new stories are coming along now. How how that plays out, that that's what I don't know, and in a way, that's what I can't know, and in a way, it's not what I need to know, right? As I said earlier, my job is to do the very best that I can, uh, in various ways, sort of offering. I mean, I'm a philosopher by background, so. I mean, my 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 job does seem to be very much connected with with helping people uh, see what's problematic about the old stories, see what's possible with new stories, and in particular, connect spiritual traditions like Buddhism with that. You know, asking what it is within the Buddhist tradition that uh, you know can can help us develop these new stories. Uh, you know, at the same time, it's very it's very. It's very tricky. I mean, I don't know how things are going to play out. As things get worse, there's no guarantee that people are suddenly just going to shift to the new story. In some ways, when things become economically very and politically difficult, it can encourage fear. And um, uh, in in a country with with so many guns and such a tradition of uh, Sort of liber libertarianism, it, it won't necessarily lead to something better than what we have now, right? Things could break down. We could end up with a kind of warlordism. So there's no guarantee that the falling apart of the uh, of of uh, uh, the old story and our globalization are necessarily going to work in uh, in the direction that we would like. So that's why it seems really important to me for for many of us to do everything we can at this point when things are still relatively stable to to talk about the new story and and to sort of show the connections between why things are breaking down with with the defective old story that uh, just isn't working and in a way can't can't work how it's actually going to play out daniel i i don't know like you said that that's what's really exciting about our situation right now what is clear to me is in a way that that that's not That that's not something that I have much individual control over. So my job is simply to do the best that I can and uh, leave the rest to uh, to whatever. Yeah, I think that that has a lot to do with um, certainly my understanding of faith. Um, yeah, all all I can do is the best I can do. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, David, for taking the time to uh, speak uh, on this podcast today, and um, I really. Uh, just love hearing your perspective. It's, it's really um, guided my life in a lot of respects, and um, I just so appreciate it. So thank you. Well, it's, it's been my pleasure. I really, uh, um, as you can imagine, I really appreciate the opportunities to, uh, to talk about this, and especially with you, Daniel. And, and I really uh, give you my best wishes for this new series and, uh, you know, potentially a very important one, like you say. Uh, more and more, I think we're becoming aware. Uh, we're talking about uh, new stories, and and I, I I hope that your your new project will significantly contribute to that. <laughs>